0: You are listening to The Vet Podcast, presented by veterinarian Dr Brian Greger from New Zealand and featuring an international team of animal health professionals. Join us as we discuss pet health issues from around the world. Well, we are back. It's been a year and a half since the last Vet Podcast, but somehow life has just got in the way. I've been busy with the practice and we have spent a bit of time travelling. If you are new to the Vet Podcast, it is a podcast hopefully of interest to those in the veterinary and animal care professions and pet owners. I endeavour to discuss topics with vets from around the world, so if you want to be a part of this project, email me at vetpodcast at gmail.com or message me through the Vet Podcast Facebook page and we will arrange an interview. Anyway, for this episode, you just had me, and it is a bit of a basic topic base, dogs eating feces, constipation in dogs, and stress induced urination in cats. Probably not the best topics to introduce ourselves, but at least it gets them out of the way. My dog is coprophagic, that doesn't sound too bad until you understand what it means coprophagia refers to eating feces. In retrospect, this probably isn't the best topic to relaunch the vet podcast with, but it is a real thing in dogs and probably more common than you may expect. In 2012, Dr. Ben Hart from the University of California, Davis, using an internet survey, found as many as 16% of dogs regularly ate stools. He found that most ate stools of other dogs and 85% were in multi-dog households. Another wee gem was that 90% were eaten within two days of being eliminated. There are a number of different theories as to why dogs do this. Having been a vet for a while, I tend to be a little bit cynical, and from my observations, if there are a lot of theories about a condition's cause, or treatment, it usually means no one really knows the answer. In saying that, there are some specific medical reasons why dogs eat faeces. These mostly involve dietary deficiencies. Probably the most common one involves a problem with protein metabolism. Now that is coming about in two ways. Either a condition called pancreatic insufficiency, which is when the pancreas isn't producing enough enzyme to break the food down. Or a malabsorption syndrome, whereby the food is broken down but cannot be absorbed into the body. Both of these conditions leave the dog very hungry simply because they cannot absorb enough energy. A severe parasite burden can have the same effect, for the same reasons. After this, the proposed reasons become a little bit more eerie fairy Stress or anxiety, although getting blamed for almost everything, potentially could lead an animal to coprophagia. Maybe it harks back to pack days, and it is a way to keep the den clean and protect the pack from parasites. Really a case of taking one for the team, I guess. There is also a theory that it is a throwback to wild canines. It has been noted that wolves and coyotes will eat feces when food is in short supply. Another reason suggested throws the problem directly back on the owner. Dogs, especially pups, are naturally inquisitive. Often when an owner sees a dog eating poo, the action may be reinforced by the owner reacting. I have to admit that I am not necessarily convinced by any of these reasons, except the medical ones, but something has to cause it. There are obviously potential health concerns for both dogs and humans from this practice. There is the potential for infectious diseases such as parvovirus as well as parasites to be spread. And I guess I really don't have to comment on the feces eating dog licking your face. Probably of more relevance is what can you do as a dog owner to prevent coprophagia occurring. The first and most obvious course of action is to keep the yard clean. If it isn't there, they can't eat it. One of the most commonly tried methods is to make the feces taste bad. I have heard of people placing Tabasco sauce on feces. Ben Hart actually looked at this in his study and found that it only worked in about 2% of the time. I have had clients that swear by feeding their dog kelp powder the problem goes away. I have no science to back this though. The most effective response is behaviour modification. Firstly, don't punish the dog. That will prove nothing. Attempt to keep the dog stimulated with toys and activities. If your dog is coprophagic, the first port of call should be your veterinarian to check for any medical issues affecting your pooch. If this comes up clear, they may well refer you to a dog behaviourist to try to get to the bottom of the problem. So, keeping with the theme, for better or worse, we move on to constipation. Constipation, I probably don't need to explain to you, is the inability to pass feces. Not as uncommon as you might think, but usually it's not particularly serious. Usually, although there are cases which, or there are causes which can be quite serious. Right, the symptoms. Not too dissimilar to humans, I suppose. That The classic one is straining. The dog will be squatting down and straining and straining. Sometimes it may appear that the dog has actually got diarrhoea. What we're looking at there is just fluid passing around the faecal ball. It can get quite serious. Sometimes the dogs can go off the food if they are constipated enough. I have seen a number of cases where they'll even start to vomit. Now probably on a bit of a flippant note another um, classic that we see particularly with the farmers that we deal with around here is often we will see these on Friday afternoon as well the farmers will come into town or the farmer's wife will get told to bring the dog into town on Friday afternoon because it's straining it's probably been constipated all week but um, because they're coming into town to do the groceries or whatever they'll bring the dog and so um, often we spend our Friday afternoons unconstipating farm dogs. Now. Number of different causes of constipation. We're looking at things like lack of exercise. Um, we can see this in particularly older dogs that aren't exercising particularly well. A diet which is fairly low in water, um, things like dry dog biscuits with not very much water availability. A couple of medical reasons that we see, particularly in male dogs. Now, one of them is a thing called a perineal hernia. A perineal hernia is a hernia of the muscles that surround the rectum and the anus of a dog. If they become ruptured or torn for whatever reason, the feces in the colon will actually bunch up because you haven't got the normal constriction of the of the rectum, and it can cause a fairly large swelling of feces sitting around just b- both sides or one side of the rectum just below the tail. There is another disease called prostatic hyperplasia, which again is a male dog disease. This is caused by an enlargement in the prostate gland, which is termed an accessory sex gland. It sits just below the bladder and it will actually push up onto the colon and cause constipation. The treatment for perineal hernias is, is actually to surgically repair the hernia and to castrate the dog because that's often testosterone driven. Definitely with prostatic hyperplasia, the treatment for the dog is to unconstipate it which we'll talk about in a minute and also to castrate it because once the testosterone is removed from the dog the prostate gland will shrink back to water back to normal again now probably the most common cause of constipation that we see are bones especially dogs which are fed a lot of chicken or lamb bones so we often see constipated dogs through summer when people are having barbecues and um, they'll finish their, chick, their piece of chicken or their lamb chop and throw it at the dog and it'll get ground up by the dog's teeth and the small fragments will cause constipation. Diagnosis sometimes can be very, very simple. Um, basically the dog's straining and we can feel a big mass of faeces in the abdomen. We will always check the underlying causes, we will check whether there is perhaps a cancer somewhere in the lower bowel, whether we have in fact got prostatic hyperplasia or a perineal hernia. We can often palpate the fecal mass rectally, often just placing a thermometer and it feels like you're coming across a brick, rectal palpation with a finger or sometimes we will x-ray the, the animal. The diagnosis is normally fairly easy. The treatment depends on that, how severe the constipation is. Sometimes we can just get away with using something like a microlax animal, which is um, just a little enema that's poked up the back end of the dog squirted in and over the next 20 minutes or 30 minutes touch with the dog will pass the feces normally though by the time we see them we have to actually anesthetize them and we will we'll normally use a product such as cloxal which is almost a almost like a detergenty mixture which is specifically made for treating the Um, constipated dogs and we use a special constipation bag for the want of a better word where we fill it up with warm soapy water with the colloxal and over a period of time we just infuse it into the rectum of the dog and theoretically it softens down the feces. We stick a finger up the back end and just pick away at the the rocks that are in there and pull it out. can be time consuming. Very very smelly, the nurses all tend to find something better to do if I'm looking for a nurse to help me with these as well. And we will also look at using laxatives. Okay, prevention. Sometimes it can't be helped but regular meals, feed, feed the dog regularly, regular exercise and availability to water. Balanced diets are important, a diet which is of poor quality will give more risk of constipation than a good quality diet. Probably quite important, allow the dog the ability to pass a stool three times a day. Don't just leave it tied up because often dogs don't want to pass feces just where they're standing. They want to go for a walk, so let them do that. Feed adequate fiber in the diet if you're on a slightly dodgy diet, which hopefully you're not. You can look at using things like Metamucil or Bran. Avoid feeding cooked bones. Cooked bones can get quite brittle. Um, Just remember that bones aren't actually broken up by the stomach or the gastrointestinal system. What's swallowed is what's coming out the back end. If you are going to feed bones, don't feed chicken bones or lamb bones. The best kind of bones to feed are large beef bones that the dog can chew on. If you think your dog is constipated, probably the first step though is to give your veterinarian a ring and they can just talk through um, exactly what you should be doing. Our next topic is something pretty close to home for me. My wife is one of these crazy cat ladies and we have three cats living with us. Things were all sweet until the latest cat, a cute rag doll called Archie, came along. All of the cats became skittery. Luna, a two-year-old girl that really was brought up on the wrong side of the tracks, being originally a wild kitten, started going walkabouts for days on end, and then Archie started urinating on the lounge suites. None of them could walk past each other without giving a wee hiss. That is a scenario that I often hear from the clients in the clinic as well. Another manifestation is so-called idiopathic cystitis, which mimics a bacterial cystitis, or bladder infection often down to the blood in the urine. In my experience, this is much more common than infectious cystitis. With a bit of understanding of what is actually happening, we can often overcome these domestic trials. Firstly, cats are social animals, but not in the way that we are. They tend to be a female-dominated society, with mother and kittens and other related females living in groups, and the males left to explore the big wide world by themselves. Just as in our society... Not all cats get on, and here is where the problems begin. In our situation, obviously Archie and Luna don't get on. It was very seldom that we would see them both in the same room. Luna would often block Archie from entering a room, and they would never eat together. This wasn't a working thing for the cats, or for us. The first thing we did was to increase the number of litter boxes, and spread them throughout the house. The often quoted number is one per cat, and an extra one. We were a bit lucky here because we live in the country and the cats are inside-outside cats, so they could also do what they do naturally outside. We also greatly increased the frequency that we changed and cleaned the litter boxes, removing soiled material as soon as we saw it. We found that Archie in particular much preferred a clean, fresh litter box. We also rewarded him with a treat when he used the litter box. As a backstop, we also placed aluminium foil on the lounge suites to discourage him from repeating his trick there. We also started feeding all of the cats a diet that contained L-tryptophan, which is actually a precursor of Prozac. Some of the problem could probably be firmly placed at our feet. Bang, here is a new kitten, was probably not the best way to go about the introduction. We could have introduced the cats to each other with some positive reinforcement like feeding them at the same time so they associated the other cat with pleasant stuff. Another avenue that we didn't follow was the use of pheromones. There are commercially available products that mimic the facial pheromones produced by cats. You would have seen cats spreading these when they rub their faces on things. They make them feel safe and secure in their own environment. These are presented either as a spray or a diffuser that plugs into the power socket. We use these in the clinic cattery but wasn't really an option at home because the house is quite big. The last option we considered was medication. There are a number of medications that can be prescribed to help. The bottom line is, if you have got cats with compatibility problems, try the few simple steps we tried. If that doesn't work, go and talk to your vet who may be able to help. If not, they may refer you to an animal behaviourist. And how is life in our household now? I'm pleased to say things are much better. The cats all seem to tolerate each other. There is much less negative interaction, and the peeing on the furniture has all but stopped. You have been listening to the Vet Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, the Vet Podcast app in Play Store, iTunes, Google Play, or bookmark us in your favourite podcast player. To contact us, message through Facebook or email vetpodcast at gmail.com.